Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Good morning, uh, C4 family. Glad that you're here this morning, uh, this beautiful fall day, and good morning to you watching or listening online, wherever you might be. We're glad you're joining us today. Well, we're beginning another ministry year together here at C4 Church, and as Dave announced last week, the theme for this year is a good one. It's joy. And what a gift to us as a church that God would lead us for a year through the idea and the reality of joy. But I think we all need to start in some interesting places to grapple with joy. Some of you may already be asking, John, what is joy or where is it really? Well, let me say this. Joy comes from knowing God. Joy comes from serving God. Joy will come fully when Jesus returns and he makes all things right. Joy is given, joy is chosen, and joy is a gift. Joy is a decision grounded in another person's work. As C.S. Lewis so profoundly wrote, joy is a serious business of heaven. Or Henry Nouwen said, joy does not simply just happen to us. We choose joy and keep choosing joy every single day. Now, when we get the chance to look at God's word and this theme, it's such a beautiful, such a vast idea. This is how one biblical dictionary talks about joy. Listen carefully this morning. It says, look, there's a number of Hebrew and Greek words used to describe the idea of joy and rejoicing, and it's the same in English. Words like joy in English, or happiness, or pleasure, or delight, or gladness. Here's an old one, merriment, felicity, enjoyment. The words joy and the words rejoice are actually most often used in the Bible to describe joy. Now, joy is found 150 times in the Bible. And if you add words like joyous and joyful, the number goes to over 200. When you look at the command to be joyful or the promise of rejoicing, there's another 200 plus references. So as we begin this morning, we need to understand this truth. Hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture... The God that we just sang to and the God we love in this church chooses because he is loved to call us and promises us as Christians joy. Joy in the great times. Joy in actually unnatural joy in the most painful and deeply confusing times in our life. Joy that the world will never get and never understand. Joy at the giving of spiritual life. And joy is even given to Christians at death. And for us that know Jesus, we know with our whole heart that joy will be given in the fullest expression when the last dawn appears and Jesus comes and gives us what was lost in Eden and will be reborn in a new heavens and a new earth. The joy that used to be in the garden will be re-given in a brand new city. Yet we live now and we wait for the not yet. And so we need to begin to ask the question as we wait for supreme joy, full culmination of joy, how do we live in the now? So to begin this series, before we even get to spiritual gifts, I want you just to take a moment to listen. Listen this morning to the living word of God that assures us, that commands us, that transforms us and points us to joy. I beg you as one of your pastors this morning, don't just hear God's word today. Let it come in. James 1-2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. 1 Peter 4.13 reads like this, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
Luke 2.10 reads like this. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. The command and the promise is given to every one of us sitting here or watching or listening if you're a Christian. But we're going to start in an unexpected place this year when we're asking God to birth in us joy and teach us about joy and the work of the Spirit of God in that way. We're going to talk about joy first and foremost through serving. Now, we have seven core values that help define us as a local church. And one of them is this. We believe that every Christ follower is called to impact those around them through loving, joyful, gift-based service. Loving, joyful, gift-based service. Now, we know that when we give God glory, there is joy, joy. And we also know that when we work in the areas that God has gifted us, we will also experience profound joy. But here's the question this morning to all of us. Wonder if you don't know your spiritual gifts. You could have been a Christian for generations or decades and you don't know. Or, or what if you've never been able to identify them or, or, or identify them by name so you don't know who to hang out with, who has that gift and grow? Or what about the problem that we at C4 Church have so many different understandings of the gifts and different names for the experiences we have, we don't even have a common script? Well, we're going to address this head on for the next nine weeks. The goal for this series and for our church is to have a common script where we have a common understanding of the spiritual gifts, that we start using them and growing in our gifts, and that we experience the joy that comes from honoring God, serving others, and knowing our part in His purpose that's going to ripple into eternity. So I'm asking this sincerely this morning. Are you genuinely ready to learn and fight for joy? Yes or no? Good. Okay. Good. If there had been no clapping, I would have been very concerned. No. Okay. Uh-oh. Okay. So here's the first thing we need to deal with as a family. I don't know if you've read our DNA document. I really encourage you to do that. Now, we at Crothers Creek Community Church, at C4 Church, we call ourselves empowered evangelicals. You ask, well, John, what does that mean? Well, it's this. We are a cross-centered church. We are a Bible-centered church. We believe that people must choose to follow Jesus. That's a conversion idea. And we also believe in evangelism, telling the whole world about the good news of great joy that's for everyone, that God through Jesus has come to give forgiveness of sins and give salvation and not only just save us, but also promises he is going to make all of creation right one day. That is the gospel we preach in this church. But we also believe in this church that we actually need the presence and the power of the same Holy Spirit that came on the Lord Jesus Christ to do this work he's commissioned us to do. Our doctrine statement reads like this. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting people of sin, the regeneration of those who are turning to Jesus from sin, and his work to make us holy, sanctifying the believer. As empowered evangelicals, we believe in all the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit. Unlike maybe some churches you grew up at, including the ones I did, we believe in this church that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were present in the first century church are available today, are vital for the mission of the church, and are to be earnestly desired and practiced once identified. So that leads us as a family to ask as we begin the conversation about gifts and joy. Well, John, what are the gifts? What do they look like? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for our church as a whole, private and public? What, what are the implications of this? Well, let's start with this. What's the difference 
between a natural gift, an acquired gift, and a spiritual gift. As a pastor and a fellow Christian and a fellow journeyer, I find there is mass confusion, especially among many who have been Christians for years, right here. And I want to say right up front, because I don't believe in plagiarism, even in preaching, that all the definitions I'm going to give you in this whole series aren't mine, okay? Just saying it. So, no, I'm serious. I'm not that good. They're better. So, here we go. A natural gift or ability is given by God through creation. These are qualities that are innate. They're there from birth, and they can be developed over time. Acting, good memory, athletic ability, musical, creative thinking. Uh, You may be unbelievably good with your hands, and the list goes on and on. These are examples in many of our lives of innate things that God just did in our DNA. Now, that's different than an acquired skill. Acquired gifts, uh, you learn things through training, through education, through experience. It's proficiencies or competencies developed over time through your, here it is, own effort. Now, natural and acquired abilities, depending on who you are, could be the same thing in a different person. But here's the point. So much of the time when I ask so many of you, what's your spiritual gift? You give me natural answers, and you give me acquired answers, and you never give me a biblical answer. And then we wonder why sometimes we don't see power in our church. So here's the point that we need to understand this morning. God gave us the natural gifts, and God has helped us with the acquiring of other skills. Those things are fine, can be used, of course, for God's glory and to do God's life well. That's great, but the spiritual gifts are different. Natural gifts, acquired gifts, spiritual gifts are not in competition with each other, but we need to understand what they are and what they're not. So let me give you two different definitions that will help us. Spiritual gifts, one wrote, are are given by God through His Spirit. They are qualities or proficiencies received from the Holy Spirit for ministry, which can be developed over time. Another wrote, spiritual gifts are endowments or special skills given by God that enable us to make our unique contribution. They are not natural talents, but divine abilities that enable us to do ministry. Now, all the gifts, and by the way, there's at least 21 found in Scripture, can be broken down into three groups. And it's actually the symbol behind me and everywhere that you are in media or physically in the building. Love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. Write that down if you're taking notes. Love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. Now, all Christians have at least one spiritual gift. Some will have more than one, and they will all come from one, two, or three. Love, word, or power, or a mix of them. Now, some of you are going, okay, John, that's great. I'm ready. Let's get going. I want to know my gift. I'm ready to take the hill. No. This is like building a house, this series, because unless we work through some of the underneath things, we will end up using gifts wrong. So let's just start this way. We need a few more definitions as a family. Okay, if, if we've got natural gifts down and acquired gifts and spiritual gifts, then two other questions. What are spiritual disciplines, and are they different? And what about that fruit of the Spirit stuff that we talk about? How does that relate? Well, the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes from Galatians chapter 5. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, gifts, catch this, are about doing, while fruit is about our character. We will not all have all 21 gifts. Sorry, if you want that, it's not going to happen to you. But we are all called to have all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And think about it. You can never misuse the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can't do love wrong for real. 
self-control, I'm going to miss you. No, no. The fruit of the Holy Spirit can never really be misused, but spiritual gifts can be misused or cause discord or conflict because of misuse or lack of character behind them or a misunderstanding of the gifts, and so we write each other off. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is attitudinal. It's about our relationship with God. It's a byproduct of our relationship with God. The gifts are given to further His work. But notice this this morning, C4 Church. Both come from heaven, not from us. You can't buy, invent, or then build up to something or get schooling and then get your gifts or get the character. No, no. It comes from one person. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's the third person in the Holy Trinity. And he only comes into us when we accept the perfect work of Jesus over our lives and accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. Then he shows up, and then all this applies. Now, some of you are going, okay, John, you're a quick preacher. I know it. Like hot coffee, quick and fast. All right. I got it. I've got fruit down. I've got natural gifts, acquired gifts. Fine. Okay. Spirit, fine. But then you keep talking about spiritual disciplines. So what's that? Well, here's what they are. Spiritual disciplines are activities that place you in the presence of God so you can continually grow in your faith. They are acts like fasting, solitude, silence, corporate worship, prayer, service, confessing your sins to others, and study. The list goes on and on. Here's the point. To become like Jesus... We need to be filled with the same spirit that was on him and in him. And we also need to incorporate the disciplines he used to hang out with his father. Spiritual disciplines strengthen you, while gifts are actually to strengthen others. Yet all three of them, catch this this morning, Twitter people, this is what you Twitter, okay? All three things, the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, In spiritual disciplines, they form the trinity of ministry that is needed and necessary for effective ministry. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts, the character of God, and the practices of Jesus brought together provide the grounding for a church to be radically changed and a life to become more like Jesus. Now, Paul writes a lot about gifts. We're going to go through all the passages But today, I'd like to start in Romans 12. So if you've got your Bible, old school or electronic, I don't really care which, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Now, I'm going to re-preach a little bit out of the Romans series that I did, and then we're going to get to Matthew 25. And just, just, I know this is sort of a a startup, and it's really educational, but please uh, track with me. This is important for our church. Romans 12, 3 reads like this. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In maybe your translation, it reads the measure of faith God has given you. Now, this means two things for us as a church. First, we should be sober because of how we all receive peace with God. There is a level foot at the cross. This is when you say? There's a level foot at the cross. We are to see ourselves as God sees us and no one else at all. And this is best informed by our experience at salvation. As another preached, all believers are chosen by the sovereign will of God. The choice is the result of unmerited favor. And this grace is received through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's grace alone, faith alone, through Jesus alone. So how could we ever get to the place that we think that we are better than another Christian because of our money? 
or our maturity, or our race, or our education, or our natural abilities, or our acquired abilities, or, or even our spiritual gifts. I mean, you can fill in the blank. If salvation is truly a 100% God act, humility is the only place we can go. Paul comes and says to the people he was ministering to, don't think of yourself in any other way except through the lens of Jesus. And then Paul says, now we'll get to the spiritual gifts. Now everyone's face is on the floor and they realize that it's not about them and they're not all that plus a bag of chips. Now we can get on with it. So Paul turns around and says, let me now speak to you about gifts. Now, the word gift in scripture is where we get the Greek word charisma from. It's the word charismatic. And I just want to say to everyone, whether you like it or not, every one of you is a charismatic. Boo. And here's why. Because we all have the Spirit of God, and we all have at least one gift. Now, we should see ourselves not only through the lens of Jesus and the cross, but we should see ourselves through what gifts have been given to us, and also their differing strengths and authority. Now, let me say this again right up front in this series. Do not spend your life, do not spend your Christian life trying to do something or be something God did not ask you to do or be. Do not want other gifts, not given to you by the Spirit, but given to others. Don't spend your life trying to do ministry in every area you're not gifted in. And then, of course, the reverse is also true. Do not expect others to be or become something God has not gifted them to be. You will always end up angry at your leaders or at your friends or your small group people because of your expectations that are not rooted in giftedness, but in your perception of what you think they should be. And so you will end up angry, bitter, disappointed. Your views aren't heaven's views. And then we get this lovely thing called a split. But if we would look at each other through gifts, competition drops, unity is built, Diversity is embraced, and then we get excited. Verse 4, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Jesus. We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to one another. We are actually the body of Jesus Christ on earth. None of us are the head, but we do form one community bound together by the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. The power of God, the reign and rule of God is most strongly expressed when we know that we are actually bound together by Jesus, for Jesus, and underneath Jesus. Yet out of this unity in Jesus, there is a diversity in gifts that sovereignly is given by the Holy Spirit. And the expectation in a local church is not for independence. It is not for weird dependence. It is for interdependence and mutual submission. Now just a side note. I just want to say this again. I did this in the Roman series. Is this not why we pray for other churches every single week and work hard to have unity with those that we struggle with and we get along with? Is this not why we remind ourselves at C4 Church that we are not the only church or the best church? We are only one little part of God's vast, vast kingdom. It was Clement of Rome who wrote so long ago, why do we divide and tear to pieces the members of Christ and raise up strife against our own body? And why have we reached such heights of madness as to forget that we actually are members of one another? It's powerful and needs to be fought for in our hearts and our corporate mentality every day. Paul writes in verse 6, we have different gifts 
according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, I love this, do it cheerfully. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, uh, uh, giving, leadership, mercy. That's not the exhaustive list. We'll get to all of that in the next few weeks. But here's the point that Paul is making that we need to embrace this morning. When the Spirit of God is at work in a church, there will be radical, God-given diversity. Paul wrote this to give unity up front in the church. One put it this way, when the Spirit of God, I like this, is, at free, is free to work in a church. Now let me just stop right there. When the Spirit of God is free, when permission by us, though we are not sovereign, when we say, Spirit of God, do whatever you need to do in us, then there is diversity. Each of us needs each other. The church is no place for lone rangers. If your life seems stuck, the person writes, even though you read your Bible all the time and you, you pray, it may be there's a great chance that you're neglecting getting together for real with other believers and are depriving yourself of the exchange necessary for spiritual growth. You can't do church without people. And you need people who are filled with the Spirit of God to experience the gifts, and then you get to grow and be served. But there's more. Not only do we see in Scripture that there's diversity and that God's plan always was to equip us at different places, in different stages, and with different levels of strength, there's something even deeper. Before we walk through all the gifts one, one, one by one, one other foundational piece needs to be given to us. All that makes us us, all that makes you you, whoever you are, your natural gifts, your, your education, your learned abilities, your life experience, your race, everything that you are, your, your spiritual disciplines and your spiritual gifts, everything that you are, everything that I am, one day we are going to face Jesus, literally, and we're going to give an account for how we've stewarded our lives. This is a sobering fact that should sit heavy on us right now. Listen closely. Even though we're saved, we as Christians will have to face Jesus at the end of our life and give an account for everything that was given to us. And remember, it says in Scripture, God is the giver of all good gifts, which means everything we have actually starts with Him. Now, much of Jesus' teaching was preparing people for His return, even though He hadn't even left yet. And one of the most powerful teachings on accountability and gifts and life is found in Matthew 25. So turn there real quick, and you can read it. It's Matthew 25, 14. And it's a parable from Jesus, and it reads like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, verse 14, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each, notice, each according to his ability. And then the boss went on his journey. Now, one person writes, our English word talent actually comes from this Greek word. But in the Roman world, a talent was not a talent like we know about it. It wasn't like America or Canada's got talent. Not at all. <laughs> a talent was the largest form of currency in its time. Ready? One talent equals 20 years of minimum wage. Can I say that again? 
20 years of work, one talent. Now, Jesus isn't talking about economic theory here. As one wrote, rather, as in all his parables, Jesus is using familiar imagery to symbolize a great spiritual truth. Everything God has granted us, our possessions, abilities, opportunities, time, circumstances, he commands us to steward them well. If Paul was speaking, he writes, he'd probably talk about the gifts. Now, whether it's talents or gifts, the principle remains the same for us this morning. And this, by the way, is interesting. This is not true all the time in the economic realm, but it's true in the spiritual realm. You use it or you lose it. Now notice again that the talents are not equal in power. They don't have the same calling, anointing, they all vary. The call for us as a church is to actually discern what the gifts and opportunities are and then what to do with them. This is how Jesus continues the story. If you've heard this a thousand times, clue back in. This is sobering, verse 16. The man who received five talents went at once to work and put uh, his money to work and gained five more. So also the one that had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them, as masters do. The man who had received five talents brought another five. Master, you've entrusted me, interesting language, with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, my good and faithful slave, servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many more things. Come and share in your master's. Notice that happiness, it's, it's a verb for joy. The man with two talents also came. Master, you've entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I actually prefer the amplified version of this verse when it says, enter into, listen, and share the joy, the delight, the blessedness which your master enjoys. Notice this. I've never caught this before. God is inviting us to actually share in his own eternal joy. I think he knows what joy is about because he invented it. I want to go there. And so he comes and says, okay, here's the story. Now notice two things. First of all, everyone, to the offense of all of us, notice that the people are called servants. Slaves. As Christians, this is our designation, and we're okay with it. Christians has chosen, if you are one, to be honest that we, we're just being honest, we know that we will always be owned by something or someone. And we have chosen for Jesus to be our master, and we want to be owned completely by him, because we all know that he's going to do a much better job with our life than we would, or our money would, or our sex would, power, politics, business, you fill in the blank. Everyone agree? Yeah, a lot of us don't agree, huh? That's why we have problems in this church. There's a lordship fight between a lot of us and God. He knows better. And these people in this passage describe they are fine with their designation. The, the point is we're no longer in charge. Jesus owns us, and he has given us delegated responsibility. There cannot be two wills. One will has to overcome the other, and the less of our will there, the more of his will will become clear, and we will find joy. As John the Baptist so rightly preached, I must decrease, and he must what? Increase. That's the point. But second, notice... There is joy not only in serving, but there will be joy that will be given later. Joy has been given, joy is being given, and joy will be given. But, and this is really big, future joy, joy that ripples into eternity, is connected to accountability. Verse 24, the man who had received the one talent also came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man. 
Harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. It's an interesting passage, uh, verse, because of course most of us here are not farmers. Basically, this is saying this guy's got so much power he can show up and take what he wants. He is king. So I was afraid, rightly so, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, at least I would have got, got it back with interest. I love what a friend of mine wrote about this. He says, before we all run off and start a new church, C6 or something, <laughs> that teaches that we get into heaven by our good works. Don't forget what Jesus is teaching here. Throughout the Bible, there's an underlying understanding that God sees everything that we all do. After Jesus' resurrection, he ascends back to the Father, but he promises he's coming back. See, this parable is about Jesus' return. And though we've all been given much, we are warned not to take it for granted. For just as at work, we are all evaluated by our, by our bosses. So God evaluates us today and every day and on the final judgment day. The idea of accountability, he writes, that Jesus presents to his disciples isn't new. Note that the story, if you read it later today, was not given to the religious leaders and was not given to the crowds. This actually was given to the disciples, those that were interesting, living with him every day. Jesus wants these ones to hear how tough and demanding God really is. Now, if you're a Christian, he writes, one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, if you trust in his death and resurrection as a payment for your sin, then this story is for you and no one else. For when we come to faith in Jesus, a new life is born in us, and one of the great results is we get to live with Jesus forever. Phenomenal. But there's another aspect to being a follower of Jesus we need to address. We now understand that our Creator invests His own life in us. The Spirit of God is in us, and now we have a responsibility to live God's life out in this world. He ends by saying, you may not see yourself as Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, but that doesn't mean that in God's eyes, you aren't as important. Of all the three levels of investment in this parable, you may not see yourself as a five-talent or even a two-talent. You may consider yourself half a talent. I don't know. But regardless, to each of us, God gives us something of value to be used and to be accountable for. Now, I just want to stop here and do a quick summary before we come before the Lord and try to respond this way. Please listen. What have we just learned in 30 minutes or free? Here it is. One. Number one, we all have gifts. Very important for us. Natural, learned, and Holy Spirit given. The spiritual gifts are not based on personality. They're not based on prosperity or patronage, but on God's sovereign choice. As we're going to learn next week, Paul will write this in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them just as He determines Spiritual gifts has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Two, all the gifts have different strengths and it's not up to us about the strength. He determines it. We will only find joy. Now here's an uh-oh moment for many of us. We will only find joy when we become okay with one voice and one will that has chosen, for, chosen us and has chosen what we're going to do. If you spend your life and all the emotional energy of trying to be something God has not created you to be, you need to know this. 
That when you meet him on judgment day, though you will get into heaven and he will love you forever and you will do the same, your life, most of it will be burned away and you'll have nothing to give back to Jesus. Don't start eternity with regret. Because many Christians are going to because they are giving their lives to be something or gain something God never asked them to do. No matter who we are, all of us are called to be faithful to Jesus. Three. And know what our gifts are and to use those gifts. And notice again, we are slaves and we are called to use them or lose them. Here's the fourth thing. Don't be concerned about comparing yourself to others. It's not on God's agenda. It's a waste of valuable kingdom time and it's going to be burned away. And here's the last thing. We really are going to be held accountable by Jesus for what we do and who we are. It's not metaphorical. It's not just an idea. It's not just a relig- no, face-to-face conversation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to happen. And don't forget, interestingly, that the guy in the story never lost his gift for that time. You notice that, right? He just chose not to use it. And do you know why he didn't choose to use it? One word. Fear. Fear. I mean, this gets back to what Dave preached last week, challenging us to move from a distracted and a domesticated faith to a powerful, real, all-consuming trust relationship with Jesus, a get-out-of-the-boat relationship so we can actually see the world change. But to do that, to really do that, we need to face down the largest enemy, the largest barrier, the unsaid darkness that shadows so many of our lives in this church. It's called fear. The third message I preached as a senior pastor in this church six years ago was on this very issue. The call here in the scriptures is that we are led by faith and not fear. Faith must drive us. Fear cannot. Another wrote these words, we must begin to operate out of faith. There is always the danger of failure. Now listen to this, it's interesting. When you invest in a project or a stock or an invention or a service, it does not mean guaranteed success. And in this economy, we'd all go, yes. However, the nature of faith is to risk and not be cautious. In God's upside-down economy, failure is due not to someone being prudent, but unwilling to take a risk. The scriptures tell us time and time again of those who risked in their faith. What if Abraham had been so careful to leave the land of his parents in response to God's call, or, or Moses had been radically reluctant to actually lead the people out of the pro- to the promised land? Remember Peter, he writes, if it, if it is you, Lord, ask me to come out of the water, and Jesus replies, come, and Peter steps out of the boat. But when we hide our talent in the ground, it's like putting our faith in a drawer for safekeeping. And we take it out on Sundays and we display it as a symbol of our sacramental liturgy and faith. And we maybe even polish it for a bit. And then, in, then we put it back in the drawer. And before, you know, afternoon football, golf, or swish chalet, you know, it doesn't affect us at all. To such behavior, Jesus says at the end of the parable, get out of my sight. And he actually gives the buried talent to a risk taker. I mean, this, this, this gets us back to one issue. It is the prayer that I've been praying and the prayer that I've been asking you as your pastor to pray, which some of you have and some of you not. It's, it's the prayer rooted in the Lord's prayer. 
Do whatever you must do in my life. Do whatever you must do in this church for your glory, my freedom, so the world can see Jesus clearly. And so we need to start the series on spiritual gifts before we get to what they are and the joy we'll have when we use them. We need to start in this place that we actually know what gifts are and we also realize that there is diversity and we also realize there will be different strengths and we realize in the end we don't own them. They were never ours. They're only given to us for a period of time, including our life, and one day we get to give them back as worship. That's where we need to start a conversation about spiritual gifts. Because when we get to that place, though it does not make sense in worldly terms, that's when we start getting joy. I want to end this way. I want us to start this series right. I want us as a faith community to pray. And again, wherever you are in line, I love that Dave said last week, you're either go train, stand, you know, or sit, or kneel, whatever you need to do. So wherever you are, listen also, please. This is important. We need to pray in this church that God's work is welcomed. I am no longer willing for myself or for you, my family, to be overly informed or conformed, but never be transformed. I want to say that again. I'm no longer willing to be just informed. I'm not willing just to be conformed to something that's not going to be lasting. I want transformation. Transformation that comes from holiness and transformation that comes from love that will lead to something this church desperately needs. Joy. Joy. And so here's how we're going to respond. I'm going to ask us to pray about five things. I'm going to ask us, first of all, and this is to Christians. So this is one we need to pay close attention. This is preparing us for this whole series. First of all, I want us to acknowledge that we're actually slaves of Jesus. I think we need to, many of us have never said it out loud. Because we're afraid if we really do it, he's going to come get us. And the answer is yes, he is. Because you were never in charge, ever. But the difference is, as Jesus so beautifully said to us, my yoke is light. Your yoke is so heavy. So first of all, we need to admit our slavery and embrace it. Second, we need to deal with fear. Fear of maybe what God might do in me. Fear about what God's trying to do in this church. Fear about being called out. Fear about losing money, reputation. Fear that God might be bigger than I thought. Whatever it might be. Third, I want us to pray the simple prayer. I want to know my gifts. And I'm eager to use them. Whatever they might be. And there's a moment of humility in this. And listen online too, please. Some of us think we know what our spiritual gifts are. And in this series, we're going to find out we actually don't have them. And we've put part of our identity in what we thought we were. And so God's going to come remove some things to give you some new joy in a new way. It's going to be painful. But it's way better than what you got now. Trust me. Fourth thing, I want us to acknowledge before God that we, be, we will be held accountable I mean, for real. And lastly, I think we should just end by praying that we would fear God and not others. So let's pray and then we'll be done. So posture yourself, however you need to, in whatever vein or way. Kneel, stand, raise your hands, cover your face. So God of heaven and earth, we come before you at this moment and we thank you for your word. It's clear, it's exact, it's helpful, it's kind, it's piercing. And for us gathering here and for the many watching or listening, here's our prayer. 
So first of all, we need to acknowledge that we are actually owned by God. We are slaves of Jesus. And if you need to say that out loud now, say it. Lord, forgive us for living like we aren't. We aren't. Just do something there, Lord. Uh, forgive us for battling. Number two, God, we pray about fear in our church. Some of us are fearful of you because of what you want to do and we don't want you to do it. Others of us are afraid of being called out out of our comfort zone. Some of us are afraid that you might be bigger than what we think you are. Some of us are just afraid because we're tired. We can't go through another change in life. Lord, forgive us of our fear. We don't want to be like the person that had one talent and never used it. And I'd ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that the Spirit of God would come and break fear in this church. Amen. Third, third, pray this. Jesus, I want to know my gifts. Holy Spirit, I want to know my gifts. And when I learn them, I will use them. Help me to use them right. Also pray this, Jesus, and I pray this along with you, I acknowledge that actually one day I'm really going to face you and have mercy because we haven't done some things right, but from this day forward, help me to live a life that is actually based on the idea I'm going to give an account. And lastly, our prayer as a church is that this church would fear God and no others in Jesus' name that there would only be one master in this house, one king, one lord, and no one else. And we just ask you to do your work. And our expectation, because you've promised it, God, is joy. You promise us joy, so we ask you and, and um, demand of you joy only because you've allowed us to, to have that conversation with you because you've promised it. So give us joy in this church. But Lord, clean up everything we've just prayed about right now. I pray for not information, or confirmation to something that's never going to last, but transformation. I ask this in the name of the Father, who is the one who has called us, the Son who has died for us, and the Spirit who is actually in us. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.